0: Welcome to The Deep Cut, an almost weekly podcast where we go deeper into Sunday's sermon, plus some other subjects of spiritual and theological interest that may come up from time to time. I'm your host, Derek Swetman, and I'll be joined often by Lindsay Self and some other guests along the way, people like scholars and experts and the stuff that we'll talk about. So welcome aboard, and I pray these episodes are helpful to you and your ongoing spiritual and theological formation. Let's get into this week's topic. (laughs) Alyssa Elliott. Hello. How are you?
1: Good. Great. Doing good.
0: So, we're going to do a couple of episodes together Yep. this season, uh, the Advent season, and uh, I'm excited about it because, uh, for one, it's one of my favorite seasons. It is a weirdly dark season, which I like, Mm -hmm. Um, but... I think more importantly, we have a lot of people in the church that might not be familiar with mm-hmm. some of these church seasons, and I know we'll talk about that here and there for sure. But um, So I wanted to do just some episodes about Advent, about what it is, uh, where it came from, all that sort of fun stuff, and um, you're the person in the building that <laughs> knows more about it than me probably, but, uh, but anyway... Uh, But this first episode, we're going to actually just talk about Christmas. Yeah, psych, not Advent. (laughs) Right. Um, And you'll tell us a little bit more about why we're doing that. But um, I do remember learning, and I I don't know if this is the first thing on your notes, but I do remember learning years and years and years ago that, um, you know, the the date of Easter was set Mm -hmm. much earlier than the date of Christmas. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe just start there. Like, when did (laughs) that come along in church history? When did Christmas become a thing?
1: Yeah, so... To back up, Easter is just the celebration of Christianity. It was, like, number one, the oldest sermon we have is an Easter sermon. Um, That's what Paul talks about all the time in the New Testament. It's always the death and resurrection. That's the big thing. Not a lot of, like, he was born Mm -hmm. happening in the Pauline letters. And then... Getting into after Christianity's legal and you're no longer uh, under threat of like being fined or tortured or killed, it's a lot easier to like have larger celebrations, celebrate things more. And so when
0: does that take place? That's that happens
1: in the mid fourth century, so yeah. the three hundreds. Well, early three hundreds is when it yeah. Around that time.
0: Generally we're talking about Constantine. Yeah, yeah so three thirteen
1: it becomes legal to be a Christian. It doesn't become an official, the official religion until 381, okay. after Constantine. So, we're in the early days of the 300s, which is nice. The church is not suffering persecution anymore. And so things are starting to develop more. And that means that larger celebrations are becoming. So you can uh, have large processions for Easter, and then celebrations of moment the incarnation which was a lot of times called epiphany or the theophany and so one of the earliest sermons on like celebrated on the feast day is from basil of caesarea who's writing in the mid 4th century Um, and his homily called on the holy birth of christ is all about that and it is like he references and says like on this day so he is preaching it on their christmas day Mm -hmm. And that would have been at some point in like January, which is still when Epiphany is celebrated in Eastern churches. And technically, on our calendars, is also Epiphany on January 6th. Because um, the Orthodox Christmas
0: is a different date, not it? It's January 6th. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. It's, they celebrate it together, and then in the Western church, I don't know why, it split into December 25th. And then that means that March 25th becomes the celebration of the conception of christ because they just backed up nine months said all right this date is when christ was conceived because he was born on the 25th of december um but yeah that's how like christmas started was just a growing of liturgical celebrations um and it's funny because the discussions about christmas and the epiphany the incarnation are coming about at the same time there's big controversies happening over talking about the divinity of Christ. And so Basil's homily is all about how do we talk about this and how are we supposed to properly respond to this absolute paradox? We also see this happening in the Syriac tradition with Basil, not Basil, this is Basil, with Ephraim, the Syrian, mm-hmm. who has these hymns on the nativity, which they sang um, Hymns and homilies were how they worshipped in, the in the East East, in Syria. And some of his hymns have lines that are from Mary's perspective on it. So contemplating the paradox of having given birth to the Son of God. Um, and he wrote a lot of them for female choirs. So that's really cool uh, of Ephraim being amazing. And so you would have women leading songs and hymns during service as from the perspective of mary as like whoa god has become flesh god has become incarnate and that's how christmas started and then advent came about later in the earliest we see like an advent-ish season is it about the fifth century so the late 400s with basically it's a parallel to lent lent is a period of preparation before easter is a Uh, penitential season so like uh, preparing yourself like I am full of sin like how can I celebrate like the death and resurrection of Christ and Advent is the Christmas version Mm -hmm. essentially it's the uh, it's like a little Lent in that you're preparing yourself for the incarnation and it really took off in monastic communities Mm -hmm. of they would do all these penitential practices and things like that and then it took off in the Western Church a lot more than in the Eastern Church, mm-hmm. um, but that's Advent, how Advent.
0: Lent you know, obviously ends Easter or yeah. transitions into Easter, which mm-hmm. is a big baptism day. Yes, yeah. uh, in ancient history, but also Advent solved mm-hmm. that too, right? Like yeah, there was a lot so like Advent becomes this and-
1: uh, like emphasis on baptism at Christmas time, and so it becomes it allows there to be more times of celebration of baptism and joining the church. Yeah. But it also within, I mean, the monastic life is all about like living a life here that gets you as close as possible to perfection as you can on the human side of things, which not very close, but as close as you can. And so Advent became this opportunity for them to really uh, go hard for asceticism yeah, in like major fasting and like. Very similar to ways we would look at of like, whoa, that's an intense way to celebrate Lent. That was how a lot of monastic communities celebrated Advent, let alone Lent, which is even more intense. Yeah. Um, but it really was this sense of realizing the, like, humbling yourself because how on earth are we the ones who are worthy mm-hmm. to have Christ become one of us?
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe as a side note, we can just, for our listeners... Mm-hmm you've said some words that have said so many words <laughs> uh, incarnation is one of them yes uh, so we let's, let's chat about that for a second then also the controversy around that yeah you've talked mm-hmm. about that um which people might be thinking a what is incarnation being what's the problem why <laughs> yeah and then this just doesn't even really fit in with everything we're doing but like monastic yeah, monks. I say that all the time, and I know people are like, I don't know what you're talking about, but they just nod and smile.
1: They're just like, that sounds weird.
0: <laughs> so let's do those three things for just like a couple of minutes. You can just fill our listeners in on what those mean.
1: Yeah. So incarnation is Jesus, the Son of God, becomes human and is also God. How? Question mark? Don't know. Still haven't figured that out 2,000 years later.
0: And that's the word we use yep. for that idea.
1: It is literally yeah. becoming in flesh is what incarnate comes from Latin. Yes. In, and then carn... Noel Karnas is like the flesh. That's it. God is a human. There you go. Yep. Simple, you're easy, welcome, solved. Everybody. Done. Now you're smart. figured it out. Yeah. Uh, the yeah, controversies the around So that. many yeah. controversies. The one that's happening when Christmas is starting to show up, or the Theophany, or the Epiphany feast. Theophany meaning an appearance of God, Epiphany meaning just like a realization or like a ta da um, moment. So the controversy then was with the teachings from this guy named Arius. So it's called the Arian Controversy. Mm -hmm. Not to be confused with Arian thoughts of World War II. Different Arian. It's Mm A-R-I-A-N. And essentially, Arius and his people are going around saying, Christ is a super-duper amazing created being. Like, is ranked above all other things that are created, and is less divine than God the Father, but is still a created being, but is still better than humans. And the problem with that was, well, how could just a better creature be the one to save humanity? Why not, like, why is it not from God? Why is he not fully God in this? So that's what the whole argument was about in the early 3rd century.
0: That's the phone, everybody.
1: (laughs) God, I'm sorry. This
0: is a real working church.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And the... God, was that you? I'm sorry. Um, Later, the, the debate's over how do we talk about this? How is Christ, fully God and fully human, start to split the church into a bajillion pieces? But essentially, at this point, it's the emphasis on... No, Christ is God. Christ is not just this really amazing created being. Christ is co creator of the world,
0: mm-hmm. and that
1: makes the incarnation even more profound. Mm-hmm. It's not just this super amazing being who became human. Yep. It is God who became human.
0: And so. there are wonderful readings about the incarnation mm-hmm. dating all the way back to these times.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And up until today. Mm-hmm. If you're into Rowan Williams, you can read... He has a whole Aaron Controversy book. Yep. But he
1: is one of the people that kind of re-narrated and said, this is really what yeah. seems to be happening.
0: Yeah. So those are the controversies. Mm-hmm. Oh, monastic, just oh, for fun.
1: Monks, uh, after Christianity's legal, we see this rise in ascetics, so people who are going out into the desert, essentially. You'll hear a lot of them referred to as the Desert Fathers. And they want to live a life that is very much drawing on um, the suffering of Christ and live as minimally and as uh, aesthetically, so without a lot of food, a lot of luxuries, in order to have this spiritual growth Mm -hmm. and to focus more on the virtuous life. So they're avoiding temptations of materiality. Super easy to avoid the temptation of greed when you're out in the desert and there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then this developed further into, I mean, the Middle Ages is just, monks abound mm-hmm. in the middle ages mm-hmm. that is how christianity keeps going for a while is these they're called monastic communities that are based around a certain way of living mm-hmm. and they all live together and they go to prayers at certain times of day their lives like the benedictine monks their motto is ora et labora prayer and work mm-hmm. their entire days even even Benedictine monks today, Mm -hmm. their entire day is structured around times of prayer, Mm -hmm. of reading scripture, reading devotional material, and doing a physical labor job. So there's a Benedictine monastery that they do that, and the physical labor job they do is they build caskets. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So that is like a thing that's continued today, is that's part of their practice of they pray and they make stuff.
0: (laughs) And usually these orders of monks are named after...
1: Yeah, usually after the founder. Yeah. So the Benedictines are named after St. Benedict of Nursa, mm-hmm. I think. Nursia. Mm. And the Franciscans yeah. are St. Francis. Francis. Yeah. The Dominicans are not named after yeah. person. but
0: Okay, yeah. back to
1: Christmas. Yeah, back to Christmas. Where were we? Uh, we were talking about the celebrations and why we celebrate Christmas and how we got Advent out of that.
0: Maybe a question people might have is, This is all taking place in a day and time when communication is minimal Mm -hmm. over long distances. Mm -hmm. So how does the tradition spread, people might be wondering. How did we come to, like, everybody gets to celebrate? Everybody (laughs) knows to celebrate this now.
1: Yeah. Uh, Part of it is the way that communication was done in the early church was, like, bishop to bishop. I mean, letter writing. Mm -hmm. And so some of the uh, earliest... Letters we have are like, hey, I'm the Bishop of Antioch. I'm writing to the Bishop of Rome. We are doing this here. This is what we're doing during this season. Actually, our first instance of all of the books in the New Testament is from one of these, they'll call them festal letters. Mm -hmm. So Athanasius, who's in Alexandria, so northern Egypt, writes this festal letter around the time of Easter Sent out to all the priests in the area that are under his jurisdiction. He was like, this is what we're doing this year. Like, making sure they're all up to date with the orthodoxy of the time. Like, hey, we've got these controversies going on. This is how we're talking about it. This is the language we're using. But he also, in that letter, says, and these are the scriptures we're using. Like, this is what we have decided among as consensus across the Christian world this is the New Testament, mm-hmm. sort of. These are really the authoritative books mm-hmm. that were authoritative across mm-hmm. the area. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they would send letters. And then also just, I mean, people traveled a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We have from the end of the 4th century, early 5th century, so 3 and 400s, backwards math, um, from a woman from Spain called Egeria, and she goes to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage And she writes, it's her travel diary, she describes the Easter celebrations in Jerusalem at the end of the 4th century. So cool. Just first person, like, her experience, what she's seeing, what they're doing. And then she took that back to her uh, monastic community. She was part of that, in a way. And so that's also part of how these things spread, is just people going back and forth and traveling. So...
0: We'll talk about this more when we talk about the lectionary in the next mm-hmm. episode, which will be a word we have to define. Yes. Well. <laughs> um, but when did it start to take, like, a form? You know, like, you um, we use these scriptures, mm-hmm. we use these, you know, prayers and yep. songs or whatever. Like, how long did that take?
1: It took a long time. It really took until the lectionaries, lectionaries that mm-hmm. we have now, because there's different ones for the Protestants and the Catholic and mm-hmm. the Eastern Churches those started to take shape in the Middle Ages when there was also a larger production of manuscripts because that's also a thing monks did was they sat down and copied the Bible by hand. And you can thank the monks of the Middle Ages for preserving scripture and like all the writings of the church fathers Mm -hmm. and a whole bunch of other like science stuff, ancient science things Mm -hmm. because they just sat around all day and copied manuscripts. Um, But the lectionary really developed later there were like passages we know were always read at certain times because people like Augustine will tell us and so he's writing in the fifth, early 5th century he'll say like and this is what we read on this feast day for this martyr or this is what we read on Easter so there's some that are just like obvious things you read you obviously read resurrection accounts on Easter mm-hmm. that one's a simple explanation but there's just growing traditions around what passages are read and when, so that takes shape through the centuries and then really gets defined later. And then the lectionary that we're using that the revised Common Lectionary, uh, hint from revised, that's a more recent. Mm-hmm. Like this is what we're using across all of these different yeah. different traditions.
0: But so, do you think any of these people, if they could travel in time, came to a Advent service today? Would it be familiar at all, or would they I think be able to they connect would,
1: the dots? I think they would be familiar with um, the narratives, at least, or especially the Old Testament passages mm-hmm. that are used in the lectionary are a lot of the ones that these early Christians were reading as the, like, these are prophecies about the coming of Christ. And so we see some of them are being used all the way back in the 2nd century. So the 100s, (laughs) you see them citing these as like, see, look, the Old Testament was talking about Jesus here. Mm -hmm. So they would not at all be surprised to hear us reading from Isaiah and Jeremiah on during Advent to celebrate Christ. They would say, yeah, you're right. Cool. 2000 years later. Yeah. They'd probably be more confused about the PowerPoint slides with the scripture on them.
0: Yeah. And what demon is making that happen?
1: Yeah, what demon is making that happen? A good yeah, demon.
0: A good. De- yeah, what yeah, spectral being is making those words appear on a wall? Um, okay. You want to talk about hymns? Yes. Or do we miss anything?
1: I mean, I just have fun quotes from old hymns from Ephraim. Let's talk about hymns then. Yeah, let's talk about ancient hymns for a second. Uh, The Syriac... What's the oldest Advent hymn? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But I do know that hymns, like, singing church is something that happens in some traditions now, and that was how the Syriac church, so modern-day Syria, that fits pretty well. Um, Ephraim was a preacher and leader in the Syriac tradition, and he wrote a whole bunch of hymns. So we don't have the tunes, But like at the beginning of them, kind of like when we read the Psalms, it'll say to the lilies, whatever that means. We don't know. We know that that was the like setting of the song. That's how they would sing it to. Uh, And so he'll have things like that. That will be they're written in a meter, kind of like Shakespeare writes in a meter. And in it, he would say things like in, they would have a refrain, they would say praise to you, fair child of the virgin throughout the hymn, that's what the congregation would sing in response to what Ephraim was saying and then one of my favorites from his fifth hymn on the nativity says this is the month that bears entirely all victories it frees the spirit, it subdues the body, it brings forth life among mortals, divinity it showers in its love upon humanity, like Come on!
0: Yeah,
1: that's so good.
0: And what year is this?
1: Class of three hundreds. Yeah, very
0: early. Yeah,
1: they're like, this is amazing, and it's just like Mary singing, um, "I am a servant of your divinity, but I'm also mother of your humanity, my Lord and my Son." Like Mm -hmm. whoa, (laughs) like wild, and then singing in church has just always been the thing. And an Advent hymn that we have now that I actually pulled off, uh, pulled a hymnal off of my shelf earlier to look. And one that's in the like Advent hymn section is called Savior of the Nations Come. And the text of it, we have it in English, obviously, but it was written in Latin Mm -hmm. by Ambrose of Milan in the fourth century. He really started to bring singing into Latin churches because singing was a huge part of churches all the way in the East that spoke Greek, and Ambrose was over in Milan, and he knew Greek, and he interacted with churches in the Greek world, and he translated and wrote his own hymns, and really brought that tradition into the Western churches. And the um, hymn is all about both themes of Advent, of the first and the second coming of Christ, Mm -hmm. which we can talk about with the lectionary more. Um, But one of the lines, the first uh, stanza, that's it. The first stanza is, Savior of the nations, come, show yourself the virgin son. fill with wonder all the earth that our God chose such a birth. Not by human power or seed did the woman's womb conceive, only by the Spirit's breath was the word of God made flesh. And then later in the hymn, says, Christ in glory, intercede for your creature's suffering need. Let your resurrecting power soon complete the victory hour. Praise to you, O Lord, we sing. Praise to Christ, our newborn king. So the sense of really just singing praise, one, and also gratitude for, like, thank you for coming incarnate. That's a pretty great thing you did. Yeah, Appreciate that. And also, wow, things in the world are really bad please come back, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and the sense of hanging on in the middle of, okay, Christ was born, and that's amazing, and then Easter, Christ died and resurrected, that's even more amazing, but then he left, and we're like, please come back, we need help, Mm -hmm. and you see that all the way in the fourth century, uh, which is very cool that we still sing that in some churches today, we should sing it here.
0: I'll, I'll let the team know.
1: Um, yes, please do. Learn this song. You have been requested <laughs> by the church historian at church to sing this. Um, we do have, sing O Come, O come which, which is the best Advent The best one. Hymn. It's also the most common one. Rightfully so, because it's amazing.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and when we talk about the lectionary, I'll talk a little bit more about... I'm just giving you a preview for the next episode. <laughs> uh kind of those seven days leading to Christmas were when the monks, the monks just really coming up a lot today, uh, they had these, they called them O Antiphons. They were basically, as they were praying Mary's prayer, the Magnificat, which is a huge part of Advent, Mm -hmm. they would sing these uh, phrases in response. And the O Emmanuel Antiphon was the one sung on December 23rd, so like the second to last, like before the all-night vigil, Basically, into Christmas that happened on the 24th. And it was, come, like, calling on the traditions of the prophets, like, please come, God, with us, (laughs) Emmanuel, and come in basically into our world again. You did it once, please do it again. Um, But yeah, that's kind of how Advent hymns now are very much focused in on that same sense Mm -hmm. of Christ came once. That was super awesome.
0: Well, and in the song too, it, yeah. it uses the word Advent.
1: Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It says, the first line is, O come, come Emmanuel, ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Mm-hmm. And the sense of, we're in exile, mm-hmm. and has this historical element of its using passages from the Old Testament scriptures, the exile of captive Israel, and then also yeah. the sense of, come again, please. That would be great.
0: One thing, one question I had about Christmas that you may or may not have input on, I don't know, but, like, it's very, here in America, and I guess elsewhere now, but it's very, it's become like a, like, we gave it, it's a civic thing now. Yeah. It's it's on our normal calendar, and it's become more and more removed, I think, from, like, Mm -hmm. the main focus um, of it. Did that happen in history before, or is this sort of a new thing where it's like
1: the whole like I would call it like secularization, or just the consumerist version of it is very much a modern thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, very. I mean, you look back at Charles Dickens' *A Christmas Carol*; very different than Christmas is now it's one's it's got ghosts which is amazing <laughs> but also it's about that sense of undoing greed yeah. and this sense of celebrate like actually having this religious aspect yeah. you don't see that a lot in the adaptations but there is still this sense i mean Victorian England is all about religion still yeah in a very weird way but it's the sense of there's something particular about the christmas holiday yeah. that is more than making a bunch of money yeah and it's about christmas cheer it
0: took a while too in America for it to even be like a recognized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Those are way after dates I know. Yeah, but that's yeah. outside
0: of your thing. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, yeah, it's interesting.
1: Yeah, it really has within, I would say it's a very modern thing that it took off into this big, huge, yeah. like, you spend as much money as possible <laughs> on gifts yeah. to make everybody happy. To the point that when I was growing up, this is a funny anecdote. I was only... We were allowed to have three presents that we could ask for. Yep. Well, we had a gold, a frankincense, and a myrrh present. Oh, okay. And so a gold present was, like, something expensive. Yeah. So that's when I'm out there asking for, like, the Barbie RC car thing so we could have a a Cadillac (laughs) for my Barbie. Um, Or books, usually. Uh, But then the... Trying to remember... Oh, four. We also got swaddling cloths. We could ask for some clothes for okay. Christmas, All right. so you could be clothed like baby Jesus. Yeah. Uh, but we also had—I don't remember which one was which, but the f- a frankincense gift. I think was it had to be like a church thing, so like you could ask for a new Bible for uh-huh. Christmas or like a devotional. Uh, and then a mer—I don't remember what the other one was. It was like a weird having a shift because those are like embalming, <laughs> yeah, fluids and embalming. Spices, so something not about death, but it technically is about death. Um, but yeah, it was basically like this is the limit for Christmas, it isn't. Yeah. We go big on all these things, yeah.
0: A um, lot of people do that. We did that with our yeah. kids when they were young. Also, growing
1: three. up, it's a great budget thing,
0: <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. Well, and it also like over time, they don't expect,
1: yeah, like, it really lunch. helps shift the expectation of yeah. what is Christmas actually about, yeah, it's not about. Uh, like, in Harry Potter, we have, what's his cousin's name? Who's, like, on his birthday, he's like, I only got 27 presents this year. Last year, I got 28. And that's not what Christmas is about. No. It's very much shifting the, look at the Bible and do this. We used to have to read one of the uh, Christmas stories. Oh, yeah.
0: Before. We'll
1: usually Luke, because it's the before long one. Before you could open any gift, gift. Before you, you open present, you have to read the Bible.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we did that. It's good stuff. Did we say when the church cemented Christmas to December 25th?
1: I don't know that
0: one. You don't know that one? No. Wasn't it at some council?
1: It's sometime in the Middle Ages. Yeah. It's when I, I mean, Who it knows? wasn't even until the Middle Ages that the Bible was officially like, this is the Bible. Yeah, right. Not like they hadn't been reading those exact things for yeah
0: 1,300
1: years <laughs> at that point.
0: It is funny. I have a collection of Augustine's. Advent Sermons is what it's titled huh but it doesn't feel like Christmassy when you're reading it mm-hmm. he's just ranting on about people going to the Coliseum or whatever oh
1: that sounds right yeah. yeah that sounds
0: like him <laughs> uh, I'll have to send that to you but it's on my Kindle so that's not gonna work but anyway
1: it's on my
0: <laughs> yeah well this was great I think we're done with this one
1: yeah Great conclusion. <laughs>
0: Great conclusion, yeah. I don't really know how to end things.
1: Look ahead to yeah. the next one. That's how you end it in the end. I'm terrible world. at
0: sermon conclusions, so I just pray it out. Nice. Do I don't
1: know? know how to write the conclusion of a paper. I just basically go, okay, this is what I said.
0: Read it above. The, the read, end. Read all things
1: above. <laughs> See the last 18 pages.
0: <laughs> okay, well, that's it. We'll be back with the lectionary one.
1: We'll talk to you later.